Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. So today is a special edition episode, first of its kind for us, and let us know if you like it or hate it. Um, But today's our first mini-sode, and if you're new here, we usually do long episodes once a week, um, but we're going to mix it up a bit and alternate full episodes with mini-episodes every other week. So the idea behind this is that not everyone has an hour to dedicate to a podcast weekly, but also there's a lot of really good stories and cases out there that deserve some attention. But if there's not a whole lot to the case, then it's hard to do a full length episode on them. And we have been skipping over some really good stories just because we couldn't stretch it into a 45 minute plus episode. Um... Also, there's a lot of listener stories that people Mm -hmm. are submitting about their own experiences, and those can sometimes be difficult to make into a full episode as well. So this will give us the opportunity to cover those cases, cover the listener submissions, like I said, and to cover some current events on true crime cases. So we're experimenting with this. Hopefully it works out, but give us your feedback, please. So a couple weeks ago, we posted in our social media that we wanted to hear stories of injustices that happened to you or someone you know. So thank you to everyone who's been submitting their stories. We will definitely keep them in case we do more of these in the future. But I did choose one of those stories for today's episode. And before we get started, I do want to give a disclaimer. Um, I haven't done any like vetting to conclude if this person is in fact innocent. Um, I usually try to review transcripts of interrogations and court hearings, and this is not one of those situations. For one, it was really difficult to, I tried. (laughs) I'll just say I really tried to get some more information on this case, but it's, he's in Utah and the whole system to get transcripts and stuff like that was actually kind of a nightmare Hmm. that I don't, I didn't have time for. Um, so this is really going off of what one of our listeners, Jennifer has sent us. Um, and I wanted to still cover it because it can be really hard to have a voice in situations like these. And I believe it's worth at least having a chance to be heard. And that is what we're hoping to do for our listeners who have been supporting us in this podcast. Um, So like I said, our first story is from Jennifer, and I chose the story because we've actually been in contact with her over our Julius Jones case. Jennifer is an artist who had been creating sketches of wrongfully convicted people, and we featured her for one of our Amplify Corners, and her Instagram is art underscore of underscore egodrom, and I hope I said that correctly because I'm pretty sure I said it wrong (laughs) (laughs) the first time. The first time. (laughs) Um, but she started her journey on advocating for wrongful convictions because a friend of hers had fallen into the same situation. So this is a story of her dear friend, Jared Witt in Utah. I do want to give a warning that this story does involve allegations of sexual assault against a minor. So trigger warning in case you want to skip through this. Um, I also want to state that I am happy that the police department took the allegation seriously because we always advocate for taking the words of sexual survivors um, serious and not dismissing them. The issue with this case is questioning whether the police try to do an actual investigation or not. Hmm. Um, And I have some theories about this and I'll talk about that at the end of this. So Jared served in the army for over 20 years. 
Jennifer met him while she also served in the army where they both deployed together to Iraq in 2010. By that time, he had already been to multiple countries for various special forces operations. Uh, But with these deployments, Jared unfortunately witnessed and experienced a lot of traumatizing things. Jennifer states that she has had to hold Jared in her arms while he shook and wept, remembering atrocious things happening to children. Unfortunately, his time in the military caused him to have a lot of mental health issues that eventually contributed to the fiery end of his over 20-year military career, as Jared suffered a bad mental break that resulted in multiple hospitalizations and even homelessness for a time. So Jared really struggled after his military career because of what he experienced in the military, and if he was experiencing homelessness, then it's obvious that the VA completely failed him. Mm. And I'm going to say right now... My husband just got out of the military recently and we're having to deal with the VA right now and it's an absolute mess. Mm. Like I've heard these stories by so many people that it's a mess, that they really don't help and you know, a lot of people fall through the cracks and Mm -hmm. like I, I heard it and now that we're experiencing it, oh my gosh, it's, it's so crazy to me that there's this entire, entire system put in place to be able to help veterans, but Every single department don't have access to each other. Like they mm-hmm. don't talk to each other. And um, to get through to anybody is hard. To get any services is really hard. And it's been really frustrating. Like we don't need a lot of help. Like we're fine. And it's still been difficult mm-hmm. just to like get him up and running with the VA has been a nightmare. And so for people that need more services, yeah. that need mental health issues, that need medical you know attention... I can't even imagine what they have to go through. So already with this, I feel like we've already kind of failed this guy Mm -hmm. to begin with. But one of the soldiers who worked under Jared when he was a chief sent me the letter that he had sent to the court during his trial. And the letter basically said that Jared was an outstanding soldier, that he always put the mission first, but most importantly, he always took care of his team. He said that at one point they were both struggling and hit rock bottom, but Jared still made sure his fellow soldier was taken care of and gave him a place to stay. He also watched him, made sure his kids were well taken care of as well. But Jared kept spiraling and everyone noticed his mental health deteriorating as he tried to just make it through life. So in the fall of 2016, Jared began insisting that his ex-girlfriend start repaying her debt of $6,000. I imagine he loaned her the money to help her out in time of need, as everyone said he was known to do things like that. Um, And that's when the ex-girlfriend refused and then accused him of repeatedly sexually assaulting her daughter. So another friend of Jared and Jennifer also reached out and provided some messages between her and Jared to show what kind of mental state he was in. In one of the messages, after she asked how he was, Jared replied, I'm here Life just is. No motivation to do anything at all. The last two weeks have been hell. He goes on to talk about some issues he's having with his house, and then he says, My ex-girlfriend owes me $6,000, and I kept bugging her about it. She finally replied by accusing me of touching her kid. I'm done with everything. I sleep a lot and sit and stare at the wall now. It's really sad. He wasn't in a good state at all. And I think all this coming up just, you know, he gave up. So he was clearly depressed, um, but as Jennifer states, as the case continued to unfold over the course of the following year, fewer and fewer aspects of it made sense. 
So an examiner had said that the girl showed no signs of being abused, in quotations, evidence, was taken from Jared's home, which included expired condoms and a Hitachi sex toy. They were tested for DNA and came up blank. Um, But there's a more important issue with this Hitachi sex toy um, because one of the allegations was that he used this on the the ex-girlfriend's daughter while in the shower. So the Hitachi is on a cord that needs Mm. to be connected to a wall to be used. So I went onto the official Hitachi website. (laughs) (laughs) And this is funny because I was looking it up and my husband was sitting next to me and had no idea what I was working on. And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I was like, it's for research, I promise. (laughs) Um, But I looked it up and it says, quote, it is not waterproof, so never use it in the bath or shower. So you could get electrocuted. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I could think of this working in that type of situation is if he used it without turning it on, but getting it under the water, I'm sure would surely break it either way, even if it wasn't plugged in. Um, And I doubt investigators had tested to see if there was water damage Mm -hmm. on this Hitachi thing. Furthermore, there were conflicting statements made of when these incidents occurred and others stating she was not in that location at that time. Hmm. So there are statements of her being somewhere else at the same time of the, the alleged incidents. Yeah. Jennifer stated that there were several witnesses, including herself, that were never interviewed or contacted that should have been because two of his housemates had actually witnessed his ex-girlfriend exhibit controlling and abusive behavior. Jared's mother stated that she witnessed the ex-girlfriend coach her daughter to say certain allegations. And Jared's ex-wife and their two children who live in the same building also witnessed all of these at the same time. But none of them were asked to be witnesses. So in 2017, a year after the allegations were first made, Jared is arrested for aggravated sexual abuse of a child. Jared made the mistake of hiring an attorney with a reputation of fraud and deceit going back almost 10 years. According to Jared, she told him she was an expert in cases like this, and she'd won cases worse than his and had 25 years of experience and expertise. However, when Jennifer did research on this lawyer, she discovered several news stories about her bungling past offenses, including one case where a judge actually reprimanded her in front of the courtroom for doing such a terrible job. Jennifer also found reviews of her coercing clients into plea deals without informing them of their right to withdraw, which is exactly what she did to Jared. Jared's friends and family tried to send evidence of misconduct in Jared's case to the Utah Bar Association. The Bar Association told them they agreed that there was obvious misconduct on her part, but they cannot discipline or disbar her without a court order to confirm it. I don't know how any of that works. Yeah. So Jared paid his lawyer $45,000. Oh my God. Uh Uh-huh. And originally she said, there's no way you'll get convicted. They don't have any proof. But when it came to the actual trial in 2018, Jared didn't even know when his last court appearance was until she texted him 30 minutes prior to it on the morning of. And she convinced him that taking a plea deal would be in his best interest. Otherwise, he might not see his family again. So in the extremely depressive state he was in, he went along with whatever she said. And he's now serving six years, I believe, is what it sounded like from my last conversation with Jennifer. At this point, there really isn't much anyone can do for Jared. Uh, Jennifer has stated many times that 
if anything points to the fact that he did this, then she would completely disown him. And if he did do this, then I personally think he deserves more than just six years, Mm -hmm. especially if it's against a minor. It's really hard when it comes to sexual assault, because like I said before, you need to always believe the victim. Always, right? If someone makes allegations, automatically you need to believe them and go from there. Because statistically, over 90% of the time, they are telling the truth. Even though a lot of people believe that it's less than that, studies have shown between 2 to 10% are made up hmm. stories. And that, so that's really low. When you, especially when you consider the fact that very little of these actually ever go to trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times there is no physical evidence in these cases, but that shouldn't deter police from pressing charges. So again, the police did the right thing by believing her and taking it serious. But the question is, did they miss investigating evidence that could have proved his innocence? So I have a theory about this case. When I was trying to research on his case, um, which like I said before, there's not a single article or available record on this case online. And to try to get those records look like a nightmare (laughs) that I didn't want to try. Um, But I came across some information on the Salt Lake City Police Department. So in 2018, the same year of Jared's trial, a group of four women took a case against the Salt Lake City Police to the Utah Supreme Court. The reason was because all four women had filed allegations about sexual assaults and the police department dismissed them and did not want to prosecute them. One of those women was underage and they still didn't want to prosecute. Another was accusing a former police chief that they again refused to prosecute. So it became controversial because information started coming out about Salt Lake City's police department having a history of not pressing charges on alleged perpetrators. One of the women on the case had a pending rape kit after the assault, and an officer noted that the prosecutors said, even if it were a positive result, it wouldn't be enough proof for a conviction Mm -hmm. on the rape kit. Like, I'm sorry, what? What more do you want? I don't know. Um, So this didn't look good on the police department. And unfortunately, the DA... Huh? They made an example of... So unfortunately, the DA was actually up for re-election that same year. So to try to save his own butt, all of a sudden, there's an uptick in prosecuting sexual cases that year. So there's a possibility that Jared's case might have gotten swept up into this mess of the DA trying to clean up his image. But at this point, there doesn't really seem to be anything that can be done on this case. Um, If Jared is innocent, I think he's just going to have to stick it out and serve the rest of the time. There's really nothing he can do for this type of case. It reminds me a little bit of the San Antonio 4. Oh, yeah. Those girls were coached into Mm -hmm. making the sexual allegations. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later when the one of the girls was older that Mm -hmm. she was able to come up or like come forward and say, I like. I was told to say this, right? I don't think that this happened. I have no memory of any of that happening. So, you know, depending on how old she is and what she remembers or doesn't remember, there's a possibility she may come forward later on and say, Mm -hmm. you know, that 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 didn't happen. But you're right. I mean, who knows how long that might take or if she'll ever get to that point. If if she was really little, then she might not have any memory. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I have no idea how old this child is. I guess I could ask Jennifer. Um, But I've definitely seen 
multiple cases of children being coached by their parent to make allegations against the other parent or against family members Mm -hmm. or, you know, and then then we're at court talking about this. And then later on, they themselves tell the judge, like, actually, that wasn't true. So I've, I've definitely seen it happen. So my sympathy definitely goes out to the survivor. Whether this incident is true or not, this girl has gone through a traumatic experience. Because even if she was just coached into faking these allegations, it's still going to have a mental and emotional impact on the person being encouraged to lie and talk about these things and go through the invasive rape kit. I'm not sure if she went, if she exactly got a rape kit done, um, but because there was, they did look into DNA on the sex toy and nothing came up, I'm going to assume that they had her DNA as well to cross-examine. Yeah. Um, so it's my assumption yeah even if it's not true if she grows up thinking she was Mm -hmm. violated you know like that's going to have implications because she doesn't know any better she can go the rest of her life thinking this actually happened yeah and so the like repercussions of that would be the same as if she had actually gone through a rape Mm -hmm. it's also really disappointing to know that we weren't taking care of one of our own veterans who served over 20 years and in special forces he definitely slipped through the cracks um, there's no reason for him to have had experienced homelessness and get to the mental state that he was in or not get help while he was going through this court case as well. Mm-hmm. It really sounded like he went through this on his own. So Jennifer and I had also been in contact recently because she was very concerned for Jared's health and the rampant destruction COVID-19 was causing in the prison he was in. Jared does have some health issues and she was afraid that if he had contracted the virus, he may not be so lucky to survive. And she had reached out to see if I had any suggestions on who she could talk to to help with this. And everything I had suggested, she already tried. So I tried to reach out to a few lawyers that I have been in contact um, through like other episodes that we've done on the podcast. And all of them said that this is a nationwide issue with no real remedy at the moment. And there was really nothing else Jennifer could do to help her friend. Um, she told me that at the central Utah correctional facility, the entire prison is overrun with coronavirus and the staff are taking minimal, if any steps to contain it among other inmates, all but seven people in Jared's entire 60 plus person ward were infected. Jared had told Jennifer that the staff are not cleaning or sanitizing anything. Um, they're leaving trash everywhere and shoving healthy people into the same rooms. Infected people were in mere hours ago. So COVID in the prison population is definitely a huge issue right now. Were you looking up when they're getting the vaccine? No, I was actually going to say because um, this came out fairly recently and this is just in regards to California. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what it's looking like in other places, but I, I have a feeling that it's it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, as of February 23rd, okay. so fairly very recently, 40% of inmates in California correction system have been vaccinated. Oh, so, cool. You know, I think at the time that we got these emails, things were still looking very bad. Yes. Um, And it was very dire for a minute there, but Mm -hmm. things are looking better. And with the rollout of the vaccines, as messy as it's been, it does look like they prioritized prison systems because they knew it was so compact like there really was nowhere for for these people to go no they're all stuck together and it's it's a danger because the staff members they go home at the end of the day and they go back to their families and 
they don't have, there's no way they can protect themselves. They can't stay six feet away and not touch a single person. Like they have to run that prison. They have to move the prisoners, whatever the case is. And so if they're bringing it back to their wives and husbands and children, that's a huge issue. And I remember when vaccines first came out, there was actually a huge debate on where on the tiers that the people in prison were going to fall under. And a lot of people didn't want them to (laughs) have it because they're like, oh, they're criminals. They don't need, you know, we should give it to the people who aren't committing crimes. Well, it doesn't really work that way. You know, they still have constitutional rights. They still have human rights. And the staff members, like, I don't know. Staff members aren't criminals and they are returning home to their friends Mm -hmm. and their family. So if you're not prioritizing the people in the prison system, then you should definitely prioritize people working there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, it's like a double edged sword. You can't give it, you can't want to take care of the people working there without taking care of the people in there. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work that way. According to the Marshall project, as of the end of January of this year, there had been at least 365, 924 cases of COVID behind bars At least 2,314 incarcerated people have died due to COVID. Again, this is at the end of January, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure there's been a few more. Um, And at least 145 staff members have also died. I also want to point out that some of these deaths have occurred in people who were in county jails awaiting trial Mm -hmm. and were not even convicted yet. So hopefully we can continue helping with the vaccines for people that are in prison and Hopefully we can get this all under the control sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a state by state thing on how they prioritize. It's state by state. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks like it. Yeah. It's like I was reading different articles and uh-huh. like New York was doing something. Um, I think I saw something about Pennsylvania and like there is still a lot of debate mm-hmm. um, on when they should be getting it, whether they should be prioritized or not. So it does seem like it's a state by state thing. Luckily, here in California, um, it from what I read, it looks like they were getting them before the like one B phase. Oh, okay. So they really were kind of up there, and it from what I read, they started in December. Oh, so, really? Yeah. It, but it seems like it was a slow, a slow process. Thing, yeah. That's really interesting. I wonder if they gave it to like um, people incarcerated people who were older, mm-hmm. and then went down Could from be. there. People with health issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's been a mess. I hope all of you are staying safe out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, Jennifer, for sharing Jared's story with us. I know it's been really difficult for you and his other friends and family, but hopefully there will be a resolution soon enough. If anyone else has any stories that they want to submit to us for our mini-sodes, whether it's a story that you or someone that you know has gone through an injustice, Or if you just have any recommendations for cases that you want to hear more about, send it our way, unjustlypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media, unjustlypodcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we will see you next week for another full episode. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.